A delegation of about 20 First Nation representatives from Canada were here in Aotearoa recently to learn how tangata whenua here integrate Māori culture into sectors such as health, education, economic development and the criminal justice system. The group has since returned to Canada armed with new ideas which they hope to incorporate into the way they work with their own people. Rosemary Rangitaura met with some of the group while they were here in Wellington. My name is Leslie Bonshore and I am from the Stolo Nation and the Nooksack Indian Tribe in, in British Columbia. And I am the Director of Aboriginal Health for a local regional health authority called Fraser Health Authority. My name is Marilyn Slett and I'm the elected Chief Counselor for the Helsic Nation and that's also known as Bella Bella. My name is Mike Bonshore, I'm a member of the Tsaudinok First Nation of Kinkam Inlet and I lead an Aboriginal consulting practice. You know, what's been really prominent with me is the uh, connection between spirituality and health. Um, we have our, our long houses, our big houses, you know, like MRIs, but they're not that connected to our, our health. So that's one of the things that I think that has been really prominent for, for me. Can you give me an example, an example of what you mean there? So one of the things that we've, you know, uh, you know, seen being welcomed into the Marais and, and having uh, um, your traditional leaders welcome us in and, and talk about the, uh, the spirituality of the, the Mari and the creation stories that we all have. One of the things that I see in our own, well, my own community of, of Helsic is, you know, we have more of a, a program that's being delivered and then our culture is you know um, not that interconnection between the two so I think it's something that um, you know was really prominent for me here. So how could that be adopted by your community back home? Definitely by you know talking with our traditional leaders and our program leaders and bringing them together. We do work together, you know, definitely, but it's not that strong, strong link that we see here. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, think yeah. Part, I think part of it too is having the um, the ability to um, through the community's uh, own ability to influence how health is delivered. Uh, you know, through having the resources, through having the authority to um, develop and implement your own programs that make the most amount of sense to Maori. That's something that we've seen uh, here as well. Mm-hmm. Especially um, what you have is one treaty, and I noticed that a lot of the funds that are going to health and, and um, fauna aura is treaty dollars, right? Dollars that the government are providing. We don't have that. Uh, our First Nations communities have an agreement with the federal government. They receive small amount of dollars in in in, um, in comparison to what the Maoris are getting from their government to look after their people in the most appropriate way that they see fit. Um, that is the one lesson that's coming out strong and clear to us. There is a lot of money invested in health here, health and wellness of a family in many different um, uh, ways. Whether Mostly the one that I notice the most is primary health care. Lots of primary health care focus in, in the Maori health system. Um, we're, we're 
quite a bit behind in that area. Uh, our primary health care is um, usually something that has to be arranged with the provincial health system. Um, and it's hard to attract physicians. Uh, we use a lot of nurse practitioners right now, and that seems to be the mes best model for us. Why is it harder there? Um, well, we don't have a treaty. Uh, <laughs> we have 203 First Nations communities, and they're all responsible for negotiating their own treaties with the government. And in, in, you can imagine, yeah, it, it, it's so far away from us right now. Um, but we are moving to a place where the provincial government, along with the uh, the regional health authorities, the equivalent of your DHBs, are working closely with First Nations communities to partner, to identify their health priorities so that the provincial system can at least redirect some of their resources and um, services and programs to reach those, those communities and close that gap of accessibility between the non-Aboriginal and Aboriginal people. During their visit at the Māori Cultural Centre in Lower Hutt, the First Nation delegation learned about a joint pilot programme between Te Runanganui o Taranaki Whānui ki Te Upuko o Te Māori and the government. The pilot scheme, the Maiti Whāngai, alternative resolutions enhanced model, utilises the services of government agencies such as the police and the Ministry of Māori Development, Te Puni Kōkere. The pilot comes under the Iwi Police Scheme to Turning of the Tide, which utilises the social welfare policy Fano Order, a philosophy that helps the Fano, not just a troubled individual. Turning of the Tide aims to reduce the prosecution rate for Māori by 25% by 2018. The Ministry of Māori Development's Regional Director, Hatha Wilson, explains part of the programme to the First Nation delegates. around who's engaging with the uh, justice system then the news doesn't look great because our young people are having some very negative experiences and at the end of the day we don't want to fill up the system that's there. The more we can divert the better we might be able to deal with kind of the other issues around our offending. The Halsek community, known as Balabala in Canada, also has its own tribal solutions to deal with troubled descendants. One way is to put them in isolation. As Marilyn Sledge, the Chief Counselor of the Halsek Tribal Council, explains. And this is someone that, you know, would uh, be, you know, quite, um, getting into quite a bit of trouble, right, and, and having a hard what time. What kind of trouble? Well, sometimes it's, you know... Um, Mischief, crime. petty yeah. crime, right, yeah. And, you know, they're supported when they go out into to banishment. There's a cabin, you know, in, in our traditional territory, and they'll go out there and camp, and the families are, have a responsibility to go out and also care for, for the individual that's out there by bringing them food and by visiting them. But it also, that isolation, that practice of isolation also provides them time to think about, you know, what it is that they want to do with their life. They have elders that will go out there and help them and, and talk with them. So it really is a, a model of, you know, you're, you're reaching deep inside yourself during that time. We heard it here today. You can't continue to deal with things the same way mm -hmm. and expect different outcomes. And some, I guess it's the case, in, in some a new way is really the old way, mm -hmm. the way that communities knew how to um, sort of manage and, and govern their uh, community issues like, like crime, you know, what's, what we call crime today. Michael Bonshaw, an Aboriginal consultant speaking there.
I also asked the chief councillor of the Halsek Tribal Council, Marilyn Slett, whether isolation encourages troubled young people there to think about being accountable for their actions, as well as making them feel a sense of whakamau shame for what they've done. With Halsek, where um, you know, publicly apologise. You know, for something, you know, that they may have done. Uh, apologize to our tribal leaders, you know, our hereditary leaders, um, to our elders. So, you know, certainly that's um, uh, accountability back to to the community. Neville Baker, the chairperson of Te Ruinanganui or Taranaki Whānui Ki Te Upoko Te Maui, says he has a different way of dealing with young people through its pilot program, which comes under the Iwi Police strategy, Turning of the Tide. Yeah, we, we, we should be practising a different type of isolation. Um, my form of isolation is that people from Ngati Pro who have been in Wellington for the last four or five generations should get the chance to go back to where they come from. And if they are the owners uh, of Mangatu, for example, Mangatu should host them back there to teach them about their ownership rights and who they are. Uh, Api Mahuika should be talking to them about their whakapapa and... Um, those generations that uh, lived in their own tribal area for those years, because that's really the connection that they were talking about. Um, so we have our own form of um, isolation, and it means going back to your whakapapa and to your tribal roots. Leslie was telling me, one of the kaikōrero who I spoke to earlier, she was telling me, you know, you can find um, a way forward through culture, through identity, Language was another one. Your thoughts? Yeah, no, I think it's it's a combination of all those things. Um, it, it's a reconnection to who you are as a Maori, for example. Um, and the fact that you live in an urban area should not change who you are. And it doesn't matter where you are in the world. You have a a common whakapapa or genealogy, which tells you that you are um, of that particular line. And one of the interesting things today was. Um, one of the Canadians who said that they were related to the Mitchells here in New Zealand, and we know the Mitchells well. Um, so, you know, we're really of quite strong international connections, aren't we? Do you think um, from the questions, from the information that they've provided um, the Hokainga here, Waifetsu, what, what, um, what of use has their comments made? Oh, I think it's, it's important because... Um, you know, the model that we're developing is, is not too different from their model. Uh, I think what we've got is a very strong working relationship with the police and um, you need to be able to develop that, and otherwise it, it becomes unworkable. And, you know, I've got to say I'm very impressed with the police commissioner and that he has taken the initiative to be able to say, well, look, let's trial this to keep Māori out of the justice and correction system. Because you have a goal here um, to actually put that money that's being invested into the criminal system, into housing, into social services. Mm. But whatever way you look at it, um, expenditure in the justice system and the correction system is negative expenditure on Māori. And if in fact we are able to show that there is another way of um, handling you know, many of the uh, individuals that get into those systems and stop the recidivism, then there should be a call on government to look very closely at where they invest the resources. And it's got to be in education, it's got to be in health, and it's got to be in those areas 
that actually improve the lifestyle of the people that we're dealing with. So turning of the tides could lead to less um, reoccurring offences, more people, those um, repeat offenders going to prison, and that money could be invested into things like education. Well, well it must be um, the objective of every citizen of this country to ensure that um, we're spending our money wisely. And it's not a wise expenditure um, to be spending it on keeping people incarcerated. So you've got to break that pattern. And um, what we're saying is that mainstream organisations have not been able to do that, but that going back to the elements of good um, family uh, connections and strong leadership in those families um, gives you the opportunity to do something different. The First Nation representatives from Canada, Marilyn Slash, Leslie and Michael Bonshaw, have some advice for Tangata Whenua, starting with Leslie Bonshaw, who talks about the importance of assessing a young person for fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. One thing that came up today was one of my questions about the screening. I think we do a better job perhaps of that. We've identified that for our Aboriginal youth in particular, we have a high representation in the foster care system. So these children are often, when they do get a chance to finally be screened, are identified as having fetal alcohol spectrum disorder. And effectively... A child with FASD, even though they may be 14 years old, have the mentality and intelligence of a 10-year-old. They do not understand cause and effect. Uh, So they will continue to re-offend. It also is a way of getting attention and always finding a way back home. If they're they're lost, the prison system becomes their home. Um, So it's trying to break that cycle. Uh, So we do have lots of interventions for youth around mental health and wellness. So uh, early psychosis and and all sorts of um, mental health assessments that can happen at the street level or in the hospitals and um, in the courts. Is there anything you'd like to share? Well, I, I definitely think that in terms of our restorative justice model, I think there's similarities, but I know because we've been working on it for, for many years, you know, at a, at a program level in our community that there's, you know, definitely things that we could, you know, um, share with our frontline workers, you know, so, you know, the banishment, you know, the isolation, you know, the integration of our, of our um, elders and, and tribal leaders into that process because they, they guide it for us as well. And, yeah, just definitely, um, well, I mean, isolation is certainly something that I think is um, maybe unique. I don't know if it's unique to Helsic or mm. not. The banishment. Um, yeah, there's other communities, I think, mm-hmm. across the our mm-hmm. province that uh, have some form of a similar system. Mm-hmm. Um, in terms of other other examples that uh, or the things that are being developed back home that may be used here is, I think continued um, economic development and making sure there's a connection between that kind of development and to um, develop the necessary financial resources that can be put into uh, Maori-focused, Maori-developed um, Can you explain more about that? Well, we've been to a couple of communities that have uh, obviously a lot of uh, economic clout in their in their region. And so that's... Uh, the, it's Hainui and they've developed their own university and so on. I mean, that's maybe that's in a... Uh, an example on the far end of the spectrum, but um, a lot of communities have taken it upon themselves. We heard some examples today to 
not wait for programs, not wait for policies to change because they're, they're programs and policies developed by the government, but continue to develop um, models that uh, can be proven to work in the community and find the resources from there.